0: Welcome to you, and uh, if you just walked in as well, good morning, and welcome to our our morning worship service here at Calvary Baptist. Uh, It's uh, always good to see you, and uh, do remember those that are traveling at this time. Uh, Brother Benji, of course, is in Canada, and will be there for a good number of weeks. Uh, Tim just uh, landed early this morning, and that's why uh, we missed him today. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, Brother Peter's Park, I believe, is traveling up north, so there's people uh, moving about the place, but it's good that you're here, and uh, we can, of course, uh, come uh, together, uh, unite our hearts uh, in prayer and, indeed, uh, in fellowship, and uh, now as we go through uh, the Word of God and then the uh, communion service uh, later on. First Thessalonians chapter 2, please. First Thessalonians chapter 2. After a long time, we are going back to our series, uh, which uh, we have, or I have entitled, Ready for His Return. Ready for His Return. However, I must say, uh, our series will be uh, interrupted yet again uh, because uh, of our upcoming 50th anniversary celebration. And so, thank you for for forbearing. Uh, and uh, But it is my fullest of intention to finish the series, uh, and uh, that is, uh, of course, if the rapture doesn't happen before then. Uh, hallelujah, that would be great, isn't it? Uh, we would rather hear from uh, the Savior up in glory above, uh, but that's the intention. Uh, it's, uh, it's a short letter and uh, uh, all of that, but well, we'll, before we go to our text, though, because we've been uh, out of it for, uh, for, for a while, we have a prophecy conference, uh, and then we had Father's Day and uh, all of that, I just want to refresh you uh, about this letter. Uh, it's a letter that is one of the oldest uh, in the New Testament. It was written some 18 years after the Lord Jesus ascended back uh, into heaven, a short letter of 79 verses only. Uh, it's not heavily doctrinal, uh, but rather practical as well, uh, and it was written to a very young church. Uh, the Bible says that Paul and his companions were only there for about three Sabbaths, uh, and therefore the assumption or the inference is that this is a very, very young church. Uh, in this letter, of course, is contained a major theme of the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation, and that is, of course, biblical prophecy. Biblical prophecy, beloved prophecy, I say again, is a fundamental doctrine of the faith and that that was once delivered unto the saints. It is not just some secondary or minor doctrine only. It is very important, especially in this day and age that we are living in. Thessalonica, of course, was one of the major cities located in the what we call the Ignatian Way. It's a major seaport of the Aegean Sea. And therefore, this city is a major trade route for both land and sea. It was a Roman city devoted to idolatry a Roman city that is devoted to idolatry, including the worship of uh, Caesar, the emperor. Paul's work here was cut short uh, due to the riots organized by the unbelieving Jews. They spread rumors and false accusations about him, and beloved, sadly, nothing has changed in this area, even in our day today, uh, sadly. Uh, as I said in the beginning, as a child of God, uh, do not concern yourself too much about the enemies and the enemies of the gospel. They will always be there, beloved. Instead, pray for them as the Bible says that we ought to do. We learn, of course, of the godly leadership in the church in Paul, Sylvanus, and Timotheus. We also learn of the godly fellowship. Of the church congregation where they were in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. That means they were genuine believers of God. Uh, Paul commended them in their election and that it was manifested in their changed life from idolatry to uh, the uh, worship of the one a true God. Um, <clears throat> They, uh, they obviously uh, exercise uh, care, uh, the, the leadership of this church, uh, like a nursing mother uh, to her child, as well as the fathering, the leading of uh, the church uh, by them, uh, these three men that God used. Um, they're... Uh, Their changed life was manifested in their work of faith, in their labor of love, and indeed uh, their patience of hope. Now this morning we will continue with the series, like I said, starting now here in verse 13. So if you uh, haven't done so yet, Second First uh, Thessalonians chapter two, and one last time, uh, please would you stand with me just to uh, give uh, credence and honor to the Word of God, if you're willing, and of course you're able. First Thessalonians chapter two, beginning here in verse thirteen. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye receive the word of God, which ye had heard of us, ye receive it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which is in Judea, are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted uh, us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men." Forbidding us to speak of the Gentiles, that they might be saved. To fill up their uh, sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Let's pray together. Oh, our Father, thank you once again that we can, in freedom, uh, still in this country, uh, to come a- and worship you uh, Collectively as a body of believers here, thank you for this building that you have provided for us. Uh, A place that is comfortable, air conditioning on, padded seats. We realize, Father, in some part of the globe today, uh, your people are uh, hiding. Um, They're gathering in uh, places uh, that they would not be discovered for if they will. Uh, Father, they would potentially lose their lives. Father, thank you that uh, we can gather uh, here in relative peace and freedom, Uh, but uh, we remember those uh, that are not able to do that at this time. Father, many are the cares of your people this morning. Would we just cast that aside? And Father, that we would focus on you and your message from your word And I pray, Lord, once again, that you'd hide me behind the cross and you be seen. Help me to say the things that I needed to say. And Father, I pray that your will and way would be accomplished in us. Lord, if there's anyone here today that do not know you as their Savior and Lord, I pray that today be the day of their salvation. And then for those of us who have made that profession of faith, Oh, may today be the day that we will indeed commit or recommit ourselves to the service of you and live our lives most pleasing before you, our Savior. And so, Father, I pray that you would meet with us, pray unction from the Holy Spirit this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing because. Sounds familiar? Well, it is because in chapter 1 and in verse 2, if we just go there, uh, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing. Paul here uh, recognize and understood that God is the object of thankfulness. God was and is the one working through the lives of His people in the church. I say this to all of us here this morning and in this room we are but instruments, we are but channels of God's blessings. But God will and always and should always be the uh, ultimate, uh, the one to be praised in this church and any other church for that matter. We worship Him and we put Him in His preeminent place today and indeed the days coming, however long or short that may be. Hence our theme For this year's anniversary, 50th anniversary, the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. We are but recipients, beloved, of God's great things that He hath done in our midst. All these years we have benefited from the great things that God has done. And we are glad, certainly because of it. Paul was thankful to God because he knew that man could not be saved apart from the work of God in drawing, in enlightening, uh, in convicting, and indeed in regenerating, and that God is to be thanked for His work. Him and Him alone. Beloved, the very first reason we are to be thankful to the Lord, and as a consequence, we are glad because of the salvation full and free. The salvation full and free He provided for us. Apart from Him, His grace, apart from His mercy, you and I in our depravity are destined to hell. You and I, in our depravity, are destined to hell, a place of eternal torment. Now, that's not politically correct to say these days. People already dismiss that and doubt that. But the Bible is true. There is a place called hell, and it is a place for eternal torment. And I say, even now that we are at the beginning of the message, if you are here, and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, and I don't mean intellectually, I don't mean philosophically, what I meant by that question, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ personally, then my friend, on the authority of God's word, unless things change in your life, you are destined to a place called So as early as now, in the beginning of this message, if you do not know your eternal destiny, if you do not know whether you are actually saved, and you do not know and do not have the assurance that you belong to the household of faith, would you please raise your hand? Right now. Anyone at all? Pastor, I do not know where I will spend eternity, and I'd like to know. Is there any? You see, many times we leave the invitation to the last part of the message. And we accompany it with music and all of this. Beloved, there is a sense of urgency in my heart. Especially as we are in this letter of Paul. And so I'm pleading with you. Do not walk out of that door until you know and you have a certainty Of your salvation in Jesus Christ. The time is short and the stakes are high. It is eternal in fact. And so I plead with you. Yes, that's the word that I'm going to use. Even those of you who are watching me right now. If you do not know. You don't have a full assurance of your salvation in Jesus Christ. Please. Come and see us. There's Josh. There's Brother Branco. uh, There's uh, Adam Ricardo. There's men here that would love to tell you how it is to know the Savior Christ. Now, why was Paul thankful to God? What was or were the reasons of his thankfulness? <clears throat> he gives us three reasons here that I see. Firstly, because they received the word of God. Now, that is important to note, you know. You see, in our day and age, many hear the Word of God preached and taught, but they don't necessarily receive it as the Word of God. Some are polite enough to listen, but then they'll say, well, that's an opinion, that's a view. Even some would say, well, there's so many versions of your Bible, I don't even know which one is really the Word of God. So how can I receive and believe it to be true when there's so many variations of what you say the Word of God? Hmm. Now this may be true in our day, but not with the believers at Salonica, Beloved. They received the word of God as being the word of God. They were a people and indeed a young church, yes. But they had the right response to the preaching of the word of God. They received it. They received it for what it is, the word of God. They received, the word is paralambano. Para I don't know if I'm saying this right or so. we? as in they were objective about what Paul and his companions said. The Salonicans gave them audience. They listened intentively, if you like. I believe there is a point to be made when Paul said, "Ye receive the word of God, which ye heard of us. Which ye heard of us. Like I said, Salonika at the time was a hub of trade and commerce. And therefore, they were exposed to so many ideologies, (laughs) ideologies, philosophies, just by virtue of their location and the volume and the amount of people passing through within their wares, bringing their wares and their way of thinking. They would have heard plenty of presentations, and they could have easily placed Paul's preaching as another philosophy or another ideology that is and can be expected of them. But the tone of the verse says that they received Paul and his companions' preaching as the Word of God. Now let me bring this thought in our day and age just for a moment, beloved. I understand that we live in an online society of influencers, of commentators, of podcasters, of bloggers, of tweeters, of posters, and whatever it is, that is called out there. A plethora of platform, they're all saying about God. One of the challenges for pastors today, and I was talking to someone that I respect, uh, an elderly pastor, and he confessed that he didn't have to face the challenge that pastors that we are today. Our challenge today is we are competing with all these different platforms that is readily available to you as a flock. You know that I'm on the series of 1 Thessalonians. And so some of you would have Googled me up already. You would have already logged on to some other online preacher, which perhaps you deem as more experienced than your own pastor. See, before I even get up and stand before this pulpit, many of you would have already listened to some who have been preaching about 1 Thessalonians. Now, that didn't exist. That wasn't actually available readily for the pastors of the past. And so they themselves recognize the challenge of pastoral care and authority in this day and age. Because of the availability of online preaching and preachers. Now I do not begrudge you for that. I want to make that clear. It is what it is. And so this is my challenge. To be a pastor in these last days... And knowing that some of you are not really my flock. Because you have another pastor online. Sad. But that's what it is. You have now a, a, a choice of who you're going to listen to on a Sunday. On any other day for that matter. Gone are the days when God's people would come to the church. And listen to their own pastor. To be the speaker. To be the mouthpiece of God. As I said. It is what it is. And so. The point I want to make here is that the Salonicans, in spite of their location, in spite of what the available ideologies and philosophies uh, available to them at that time, they received... Whole and his companions as speakers, as mouthpieces of God. And quite frankly, I pray that whenever I stand before this sacred pulpit, if you could just place it in your heart, that I am, by God's grace and enablement, I'm trying to be the mouthpiece, the speaker from God and, uh, and for God. My desire is not to have many views or likes or thumbs up uh, or followers, of me i would rather that we follow the lord together i'm not here to entertain you beloved i'm not here to please you or tickle your fancy no believe me i have a deep sense of uh, responsibility and accountability of the power of preaching and that whatever i say behind this pulpit i know that I will stand in glory and account for every idle word that I say. And whatever I say behind this pulpit has a profound effect in the eternal life of God's people. And it's not an easy burden to bear. I don't take that lightly. Every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So Paul was thankful to the Lord for their reception of them and what they proclaimed as the word of God. Still in verse 13, notice how the Thessalonicans received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Now, the word received here is different from the one earlier. This is not or no longer paralambano. This is dekomai. And the idea is not just objective listening, but acceptance of what they heard. There's a difference. The believers received... And more importantly, accepted what Paul and his companions spoke as the word of God. Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. Hallelujah. Praise God. They accepted it, beloved. They didn't second-guess Paul. They didn't label him as hobby-horsing. They didn't think of him as having hidden agenda or wanting to push his personal philosophies, preferences, and prejudice and therefore label him as legalistic. No, they accepted what he said as the word of God, as this in-truth and not some words from the council or some from committee out there that are pulling the strings because they're paying him to say what they wanted him to say. And sadly, that is what's happening today with some of our politicians of our day. They heard what Paul said and they believed it in their heart, effectively working in them that believe, verse 13. We see that in chapter 1, verse 6, that despite the afflictions they faced persecutions perhaps. They receive the word of God. And so Paul was thankful for the Lord, to the Lord for that. You see, the gospel and the message of the gospel, beloved, must not only be heard, it must be received as the truth. And for it to do its work, effectually in the soul of man, it must be received and accepted. One must not, saints and sinners alike, be hearing messages after messages and not receive and accept to be the truth of God's word for a sinner truth unto salvation for a christian truth unto sanctification all of us in this room are hearing the word of god and the truth contained in it it must do something we must do something about that truth we either reject or accept it To be true, we really cannot sit on the fence, so to speak, and should not be on it, especially when it says the word of God, thus saith the Lord. We have to make a decision to either accept it to be true or reject it as truth. Again, you may be here and heard the message of the gospel. What are you doing about it then? You ought to believe it. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 to 10. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, the Bible says. Young people, listen. Listen to me, please. Sunday after Sunday, your parents bring you to church. You have sat in your places for these many years. You have heard all about it, and you are probably bored about it all. But listen to me, young people. You'll never spend a day or take a step in in heaven's glory above without you accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. Don't worry about mom and dad. They are saved. They're going to heaven. But are you... Do not count on the religion of your parents just because you come to church, just because they bring you to church, just because you have Sunday school attendance and you have little stickers uh, to prove that you've been at the end of the day. Have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your own Savior? If you haven't, when you go home tonight or today, mom, dad, dad, I wanted to be safe. Let mom and dad tell you how it is. The Salonicans, Salonicans received and accepted the word as God's truth. Will you? Secondly, Paul thanked God for their fellowship. Here in verse 14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Now in chapter 1, verse 6, the Salonicans became followers of Paul and his companions, as they themselves were followers of the Lord. Here in verse uh, that we just read, Paul was thankful to God because not only did the believers receive, not only did the believers accepted uh, the word of God as truth, but they also became, in such a short period of time, they became followers, imitators of the churches of God in Judea, which the Bible says here, who liked them, were also in Christ Jesus. The idea here is that the believers in Thessalonica were united with the believers in Judea in the salvation found in Christ Jesus. Geographically, they may be separated, but in Christ, they are united. It is unlikely, though, that these two local churches would have met and have fellowship together at the time, just for the simple reason and the simple fact of how it was during those times by way of traveling. You see, they don't have BMWs, and Mercedes, and, uh, and, and, and Fords, and Holdens uh, at that time. They have uh, the mighty camels to transport them. But you see, perhaps Paul made a comparison, a good comparison at that, perhaps of the church in Judea, and indeed in Jerusalem, and how the believers there gladly received the word, Apodekomai. there's your word again, okay, there's, uh, they received the word, they were baptized and, conf- and continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Paul, the inference here, must have told the the believers at Thessalonica about the churches in Judea. Perhaps Paul told the Thessalonians how thousands of people were saved, how they were daily in the temple with one accord and gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, and get this, having favor with men, and that the Lord added to the church daily as such, as should be so. What an encouragement that must have been. And uh, you know, those of you who come on Wednesday night, and uh, I, I read of the prayer updates of our missionaries, and, and they're talking about 20 God saved then got baptized, or oh, we have an event and there's uh, 120 people in attendance. Uh, we have uh, our, our trucks filled uh, with people. Uh, and for us, here in Australia, uh, with a sophisticated Melbourne society where uh, we don't get to hear these things, it's an encouragement to hear of what's happening in other churches. And so per, Paul perhaps encouraged these young church what and how they could become themselves as a church. How they could be a beacon, a church for Christ like other churches. Plural, here you notice, churches in Macedonia who clearly were established before them there at Thessalonica. Paul wasn't talking of a universal body of Christ here. Yeah, he is talking or referring to local assemblies, local churches in the land of Judea. Now, let me stop here for a moment and make some comments for us again. Indeed, in this our day. My dear ones, in a couple of weeks, our church will celebrate its 50th anniversary. And I don't know about you but it is arresting my soul. In fact, even at the beginning of this year. I can't shake it off. And the more we get closer to the day, it's arresting me. You see, there is an expectation that by now and the age of our church here in Bayswater and indeed in Melbourne, that we should be an example to other local churches. A good example, I pray. Every time I enter this building, I am confronted with the church covenant. That is our solemn promise to each other, to watch out and care for each other. It's right on our faces as soon as we enter the foyer. I scan over the f- photo that we have at the foyer there. You know, I, I, have that, I have that saved in my desktop screen in my office at home. I, I take this for what it is. I, I put it there on both of my screens. It's my, my prompt. You see, I think of you every day. I mean, I talked to you that day. But every waking moment of my life, as soon as I sit in my office at home, I see your faces. I see you, Miss Schuller. I'm thankful for you for these many years. Stephanie, I've just reviewed the records. 33 years for you, my sister. A long time. And so I, I, I look at this photo here at the church and at home. Uh, as I said to the folks last Wednesday night, I am so thankful. Just like Paul. I'm thankful for each and every one of you. And so this year, okay, make sure you, you're here for the photo, okay? Why? Because I use it as my prayer prompt. I pray for your little boy, Zacharias. I pray for that upcoming one, Monica, the twins. And so what am I saying here? I look at the frames out there, the names of people who have been in and out of this local assembly called Calvary Baptist Church, and the blessing that those names have all been even before I came uh, in this church in 2000. You see, I pray that while I'm here and that while we're here, for me, not just because I'm the pastor of the church, how I pray that we will all be found as one who have been steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, in one accord with each other, and with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, And having favor with men, both inside and outside of the church walls of 328 Bayswater Road. We have people getting baptized. We have people uniting in fellowship and in membership. And some are still coming. And I certainly hope that we would see more people come to know the Savior and his salvation. If not here, inside the building where traditionally people would come forward and receive Christ as their Savior. But I hope and pray that in your places of work, in your own homes, and anywhere that we find ourselves in, that we get to hear people getting saved. Amen? Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that be something that we would desire for the next Years of our church. So, back here in our text in verse 14, the latter part For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Here in verse 15, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak. To the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins, always for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Paul was thankful to God for the re- their reception and acceptance of the word of God, for them as it being the truth, and he was thankful for their fellowship uh, of them as their spiritual leaders and indeed their imitation. Again, their Fellowship of other churches in Macedonia who were saved before them, perhaps more mature than them at this time. But just like any other church, uh, Paul was thankful uh, of, uh, that these believers in Salonika were also uh, content with afflictions and, and sufferings, not only from their own countrymen, but also for the Jews. Now, I wonder why would Paul be thankful for that? And why would I, as your pastor, be thankful when you're going through some difficulties and some afflictions? When I look at this photo, like I said, um, I have a little bit of an understanding and knowledge of perhaps some of you and what you're going through. And indeed, they are painful. But Paul was thankful for that. How can he be, and how I must be thankful when you are also going through some tribulations? You see, in chapter 1, verse 6, the Salonicans followed the Lord and His word, even in much affliction, the Bible says. And here in this verse that we are considering, Paul was thankful for them being steadfast, And bearing themselves as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Being partakers of Christ's suffering. One way of putting it is persevering as saints of the Savior. I cannot be overtaken just by my emotions because of what you're going through. And I know it's hard. And I know it's difficult. But I should be, as your pastor, be thankful for you are going through those because it will strengthen you. It becomes makes you a very good soldier for Christ. You become a partaker of His suffering. We ought to be thankful, beloved, that while we are here in Australia in relative peace and comfort, there are other believers out there in China, in India, uh, in, in Cambodia, even, in Thailand, uh, in Pakistan, in Sri Lanka, uh, in North Korea. People are losing their lives because of persecutions. And how can one be thankful for that? One can be thankful and take the comfort of God's word. That they are becoming in their afflictions and suffering. They are standing for the truth in spite of their afflictions, in spite of their sufferings. So Paul here communicated his thankfulness to the Lord for the faithfulness of the saints in Salonika. My dear ones, look at me. I'm not pretending for one moment that it's easy what you're going through. But I'm thankful nevertheless that you're bearing up. You're continuing on. You're not becoming weary in well-doing. Oh, I can only comfort you. I cannot solve your problems. Oh, but dear God, I can pray for you to make you strong. For this time of afflictions are but in the context of eternity are for a moment. And beloved, look at me. It cannot be compared to the glory that is beyond. So bear up. Take comfort. Take confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was referring to the churches in Judea here, including Jerusalem. They indeed suffered persecutions from the hands of the Gentiles, but more so from the unbelieving Jews also. Let us not forget, Paul himself, a Gentile, a Roman, uh, the Pharisee of Pharisees that he was, uh, he persecuted the church himself, did he not? Uh, And so, yes, he was one of those countrymen. But yet, after his conversion at the Damascus Road, the persecutor became the persecuted. But who were these Thessalonians that persecuted them? Their own countrymen. We find the answer in Acts chapter 17, verse 4. These were lewd fellows uh, of the baser sort and goons, if you like. Gentiles hired and gathered by the unbelieving Jews to set the city on an uproar against Paul and his companions. These Jews and the Gentiles together persecuted Paul and the young church there in Salonika. Now look at verse 15 again. Paul didn't mince his words. He flatly pointed out that the Jews killed their own prophets. Not only that, they also killed the Lord Jesus. It was them who cried with cruel indignation, Crucify him! Crucify him! crucify him. These are the ones that chose Barabbas, a criminal, to be released and chose Christ, their own Messiah, to be crucified. These are those people. And so Paul in more ways than one, he was thankful for the Salonicans and their perseverance in their young faith. For it was easier for them just to quit and and to quit the faith and perhaps go back to uh, the, the pomp and the ceremonies of Judaism and escaped the persecution at that time. But no, beloved, they followed the other churches in Judea. They received the word of truth, even in much affliction and sufferings. Oh, how thankful must have Paul been, and how thankful must we be for our brothers and sisters out there that are standing and contending and suffering in affliction for the truth of the gospel. You know, beloved, we here in Australia, we are about to be tested about persecutions. Whether we pass or fail is yet to be proven. We just had the test of COVID and what kind of havoc it created in the churches of Christ. I don't care whether you're pro-vax or anti-vax. But now that it's all over, and I look at the pieces, how many of us failed the test and just COVID? There are so many more tests that will come. Calvary Baptist Church, this is part of my prayer for us as we go on to the next 50th year is we have it. Let's be steadfast. Oh, be steadfast. Let's not get lost in the narratives. Let's look to the Word and base our decisions on what God has said in His Word. Not what we think. Not what our opinions are. But what the Word of God said. Verse 16, and we're nearly done. These hoons and goons prevented them from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. It's no different from our day to day. Here in Victoria, there are legislations now in place that prevents us as believers to freely speak about the truth of God's word. We are systemically being forced to comply with laws contrary to our convictions and ethos as a believer and a child of God. We can no longer freely and publicly pray for certain groups of people who have a different lifestyle. We need to have specific policies about gender equality. Otherwise, we are an organization that is deemed Too risky to ensure we are being forced to have a culture of distrust. A culture of distrust, even in the house of worship. Gone are the days that we will take care of children as if they were our own. With no malice, but pure motives to serve them without first being checked. Checked. And being qualified. Oh how grievous to the soul. That we would have a culture. Like that in the church of God. Nevertheless Calvary Baptist Church. Just as Paul is thankful to the church of Thessalonica. I as your pastor. And thankful to the Lord for you. Indeed I am. Thank you for receiving and accepting the word as true. Thank you for your fellowship of the leadership, even though we are not always right and even though we don't always get it right. And thank you. Thank you for soldiering on. Thank you for your perseverance in these nearly 50 years. With all the ups and downs, with all the twists and turns that this church had in this year since 1973. Thank you for being faithful to the one who has always been faithful despite our own unfaithfulness. To all of you, I say thank you. But there is one that deserves all our praise. And thanks. And he's the one that's represented on the emblems here before us, the symbol of the unleavened bread, the sinless body of the Lord Jesus Christ, brutalized, scourged, so that every time that whip go on, it will wrap around his body, and every time they pulled it, a part of his flesh would go with it. It was so. He was so mad that he is unrecognizable as a man. His pure, sinless body, he offered as a perfect sacrifice. He died so that you and I can live. And oh, the cup of sorrows in the fruit of the, fruit of the vine. His blood spilt, not for him, but for you. For where there is no remission, where there is no blood, there is no remission of sins. The Bible says. He is the one that we should be thankful for. And I trust that as we look to the emblems of the communion service today, him that was rejected by his own, one who was not welcomed by his own countrymen, him that took our place, the sinless for the sinner, the just for the unjust, may we remember to be thankful of him. Senior friend, before we close, once again I plead with you in urgency. If you do not know where you're going to spend eternity, would you please seek us out? Christian, Oh, my dear Christians, the time is coming. The judgment seat of Christ is just around the corner. What are you doing with your life? Are you committing it to the one who died for you? Take up your cross, Christian, and follow him, for he took up his cross first, to pay for our own sins. Men, would you now come and prepare for the